This is the Laravel News Podcast, your one-stop podcast to find out about Laravel-related news, tutorials, packages, and more. Here are your hosts, Jake Bennett and Michael Dorenda. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Laravel News Podcast. Today on the show, we have Jason McCreary with us. Jason was at Laracon 2016 and gave a talk uh, called YAGNI, which if you haven't heard the acronym, I have been using it since that talk. It was a great talk. And uh, he is also the guy that is behind Laravel Shift, which we have also talked on this show a little bit about. So we wanted to have him on to talk about the shift that he created for uh, five four, as well as some of the other things that are going on with that. Jason, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. Yeah, for anybody who's not familiar with you, could you tell us a little bit about what you do, where you're from, um, what you're currently working on? Yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm Jason McCreary, as you said. I like to go by JMac, which uh, basically is just a nice little abbreviation of the name, a mashup of the first and last. Um, it was actually given to me a couple of years ago because. Basically, everywhere I work, there's like three other developers that are named <laughs> Jason. Um, and in fact, at my most recent job, uh, there was a, a guy that actually his name matched together is, is uh, J-Mac as well. So oh, no. it was one of those things where he was like, okay, look, I'm just going to go by Jason. You can take J-Mac because, you know, it sounds like you've really used this before. That's fine. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, I'm totally fine with, with just J-Mac. All right. Perfect. Uh, so I guess we wanted to, uh, there's probably people who have heard us talk about uh, Laravel Shift before, uh, but for people who have maybe not listened to the show before, can you give us a little intro of what the, um, uh, what the idea is, what the concept is behind Laravel Shift? Yeah, so Shift is basically an automated way to upgrade your Laravel applications. I recently added some human services with that, which is basically where I kind of help you do that. Um, but for the most part, I would say a uh, far majority, like 95% of them, uh, people just use the automated service. Uh, so effectively what happens is you sign in with Git or, uh, sorry, GitHub, uh, Bitbucket, uh, GitLab, and basically say, look, I want this repository and this branch to be um, upgraded to whatever version. So in this case, let's say Laravel 5.4. And about, I'd say, 90 seconds later, you get a pull request with all of the updates that say, okay, here's everything that was changed. Uh, they're nice and broken out and, and clean commits. And uh, anything that it couldn't reliably upgrade, it's going to give you a PR comment and say, look, go check out this file. Here's what changed. Um, you know, see what you might need to do. Yeah. It's, uh, and, and what version was it that you started this at? It was in the fours, I think, wasn't it? Yeah, so about two, I guess it was two conferences ago at PHP World, which is in like the fall in DC. Um, I gave a talk on all aboard Laravel 5. Um, and so that was basically the big shift from 4.2 to 5. And uh, Taylor was there. And basically, I caught up with him after the talk and just kind of said, hey, um, are you aware of anybody that like made any scripts for this? Because a lot of the stuff was obviously like moving directories and, mm -hmm. you know, renaming a bunch of classes and adding some namespaces. And I found a few blog posts, but, you know, nobody had really like made some scripts. And I've used PHP for about 15 years now. So, I mean, I've gone through a lot of frameworks. And I remembered back in the day where like CakePHP gave you a migration script as part of the framework. Nice. It wasn't 100%, but like 
it did the stupid tedious stuff right yeah so anyways taylor was like hey uh you know i'm not familiar with anything like that but i'd use it and i was like here we go so nice there you go yeah uh, Michael, have you had a chance? I know you've used this in the past before. Um, uh, what was the process like for you? What version were you using? Or actually, maybe you did it all no, manually. I'm trying to remember. Have you had a yeah. chance to use it? No, no. You're the you're the poster child for Laravel Shift, and I just dreamed that I w could use Laravel Shift. It is true. I, Jason, I am the poster child. Yeah, Jason <laughs> and I have briefly spoken about it in the past, and our situation is a little bit annoying because we're using hosted GitLab that is buried behind VPN, so it makes it a bit tricky to to use it. So I, I just went through myself uh, upgrading our, one of our core applications from 5.1 to 5.3 and when the time is available to me, eventually onto 5.4. Upgrading, upgrading Laravel itself is not the tricky bit. It's everything that sort of pieces in around it. I felt that was, that was the time consuming stuff. And then, you know, obviously making sure that everything that relies on things that may have changed between those releases that, that still continues to work. So yeah, I, I definitely, I definitely know the value of it. Yeah. We'll talk about that a little bit too. Kind of a lot of the headache that you ran into, um, going into your level shift is that you guys had been on five, one for like three versions. Um, so uh, yeah. We'll talk about LTS a little bit uh, later in the show, but before we get into that, um, there's a couple of things I wanted to talk about. So as Jason said, the shift process is that you get this pull request to your repository, which is really nice if you're familiar with or used to doing code reviews. It feels very much like you're doing a code review on the on the shift, so you can see all the files that have changed and, and uh, you get the comments on. A lot of times what I've found it can't, you know, as you said, reliably shift would be like the configs. So it's kind of difficult if you've got custom configuration in there to shift that stuff for you. So a lot of times it'll list out like, hey, your broadcasting.php needs to be upgraded. Here's a link to the newest version so that you can compare it real quickly against yours. And a lot of times what I'll end up doing with those is I literally just copy and paste like the newest one in there and then just put my little configuration values back in. I've found that doing it the opposite way, which basically like trying to scan myself between the two and find out where they're different and replace just those spots is actually a lot more error prone than just copying and pasting the whole thing and then moving my stuff back into it. You know what I mean? Yeah. So anyway, um, do you want to talk at all about the cost? Uh, that's one of the things that's really been kind of crazy to me is that really since the platform started, it's been very, very reasonable to shift anything. So maybe talk about the price point. What's your reasoning behind that? <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> A lot of people give me trouble about the pricing. It's it's really funny, and and there's a catch there, right? Okay, so so the so basically what we're talking about is this thing's like, you know, a couple bucks. In some cases, it's it's, it's free. Um, I think the most expensive one is like nineteen dollars, and that's like four two to five zero, which is going to take you probably eight hours of work. So unless you're making thirty cents an hour, right, like it's worth right, it, right, yeah. And and so and and I'm aware of that, and it's one of those things where. You know, it, it's a balance, right? Um, I have PHP Shift as well, which kind of goes between the PHP versions. And that thing, I'll, I'll just be honest, is shit. It's made like $5. <laughs> it doesn't even cover the coasting, hosting cost. Um, so anyways, th the point is, is that um, what I realized is that, you know, as, as open source products and so forth, you want to be careful about charging for things, right? So I think that that's a little bit of it, but I think most of it, 
is I really just want to make it a no-brainer, right? Like it's more of the Google long tail approach. So effectively, instead of trying to take like a Basecamp approach where I want $1,000 a year from 1,000 clients, I'd rather just have, you know, 10 bucks from 100,000 Laravel developers mm. that know that this is totally worth their time. It's the same dollar amount in the end, but like, I just think that's a cleaner approach in my mind. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I've never, I mean, we've talked about, I know we talked about it last year at Laracon. That totally makes sense though. You want it to be like such a, you don't want it to have to be a decision really that has to be made. Like on the part of the developer, like, eh, can I convince my boss to let me do it this time? It'd be so helpful. It's literally just like a no brainer. So anytime that there's an upgrade, it's like, ah, I bet, I bet shift will have, you know, Laravel shift in the next couple of days. I'll just wait for that and then spend the five bucks it is to up update, you know? There's also the balance of expectations. Like if I charge $99 for a shift and it doesn't get some of the configuration files to your point, or if I can't just run composer update and it works. I'm going to be answering some emails like, hey, man, uh, this didn't work for me. Yeah. Whereas I feel like right now the emails are very positive. Like, man, this thing is awesome. I would pay 10 times more than this, blah, blah, blah. So I, I don't know. It's just it's it's a more positive um, feedback loop currently. I, I think I've only ever issued like two refunds. And even then I did that like it was my choice to issue that refund. They didn't request a refund. Yeah. Yeah. And these are the things that, you know, in the same way that when changes are made in the framework that might seem innocuous, you know, someone might submit a pull request, it gets vetted by, you know, other developers and things like that, and it gets pushed into the framework, and then suddenly someone has got some obscure use case that was that was relying on that particular functionality that has now changed. These are all kinds of things that as more, more developers are using Shift, you're going to pick up on them, and that, that obviously then increases the power and and the usability of of shift itself so it's good to keep getting that feedback as well and that's that's a good point because you know as awesome as the upgrade guide is it doesn't list everything and over time shift just by its sheer users and sheer feedback i'm always making patches mm -hmm. i mean it's going to get far more especially if you use it like a week after the official release it's going to pick up way more than what you would have seen, you know, in the upgrade guide alone. To, to your point, it's going to pick up these little functions that changed inside, like the route helper and all these things. Yeah. Do you, do you, when you find these things, do you end up contributing them back to the framework, to the upgrade guide or anything like that? Or do you make mention of them to Taylor? Yeah, there's, there's definitely been a few um, PRs I've made against the upgrade guide over the year. It, it's a it's a balance, I guess. Um, I think Taylor uh, really likes to keep that pretty tidy, but I have noticed over the last few versions that there are some, I guess, more generic, you might call them, like paragraphs. For example, I noticed in 5.4 at the very bottom, it's like, hey, go check out this compare on GitHub between the old 5.3 you know, app and the new 5.4 app, which is basically what you know. I've talked to him that initially that's kind of what shift does is basically compare those two yeah so it's interesting to see that some of these things are making their way back into the upgrade guide which is great i think there was a migration script too that i contributed back for like some of the session tables back uh in 5.3 so some of it goes back in yeah cool so that's i mean that's the framework itself so we we can go all the way from is it 4.1 or 4.2 right through to the latest and each step gets a little bit more expensive the older the version is that you're on yeah, I do that on purpose. Just, you know, I really believe on kind of being on the latest version or at least towards the latest version. 
so yeah as as a new version of Laravel comes out I think you know the old versions go up about 10% which really again we're talking about like $2 but sure yeah 42 to 50 is the most expensive but it also is the largest shift cool and so that that's in terms of uh, framework version to version what about one of the other shifts that you've got available is the Lumen to Laravel shift. Do you see a lot of usage with that? I put out the Lumen shifts, I think, probably late fall. Um, so you can go from the first version of Lumen, which I think was, you know, 5, all the way up to, um, I don't even know if 5.4 is out right now, is it? I'm not sure, honestly. I don't think so, at least as far as I know. But anyways, it, it, it will take you to the latest version. Um, but similar to the kind of the PHP shift, um, it's one of those things where... It's probably only gotten about a dozen users. So that led me into maybe making a Lumen uh, to Laravel shift. Well, not maybe. I am making a Lumen to, to Laravel shift. So Yeah, I'm looking forward to that one coming out. We have a Lumen application that has been a pain in my side to maintain. Because every time I go in there, I'm like, okay, I'll just do this little thing. It's like, dang it. I'm not in Laravel, I'm in Lumen and I keep forgetting, you know, and it's not, it's not a ton of things. I mean, there's just a couple of things that are like convenient, nice to have so that it's just, I, I get my, you know, I get confused, uh, between those two and just, I pretty much just don't want to deal with it. It was like when Lumen first came out, I was like, oh, this is like the new hotness. I got to try this out. And it just doesn't matter The the speed benefit is great, but it's, you know, we're talking milliseconds of difference here between response times for the stuff that I'm dealing with. Exactly. I, I, I mean, I'm going to put a blog, a blog post out on this and, and I have, I'll, I'll disclaim immediately, like I have no inside information about this at all. This is just my personal belief, but I think you're going to see a Lumen, you know, get merged back into Laravel. And I think you're going to potentially see some configuration options inside Laravel to get you that speed boost back that Lumen gives you out of the box. Plus, I just think that as, as the framework evolves itself as Lumen, uh, sorry, as Laravel evolves, it's going to be one of those things that, you know, performance is just going to get more and more baked in, mm -hmm. especially with speed increases in PHP itself. I mean, as soon as you adopt seven only, like you're going to get a speed boost there. So yeah, I think for a far majority of, of users of Laravel developers, that extra boost that you're talking about by using Lumen is really not going to show up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it's pretty telling as well, right, that you've only had like 12 Lumen shifts as opposed to like, you know, how many thousands of Laravel shifts. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So um, one of the things that you've kind of talked about and you released this last year, I believe, is the developer shift platform. Uh, I was wondering if you could kind of talk a little bit about that. I looked into it a little bit, but I don't think I ever really wrapped my head all the way around it. Uh, so if you could kind of tell us what that is and... And what's behind that? Sure, yeah. Uh, so I, I guess I probably put a blog post out early this year, maybe late last year. I've been kind of doing a lot of different things with Shift, kind of reviving it. Took a little break to make some some videos, which I guess maybe we'll talk about here in a little sure. bit. But yeah, the, the developer platform, uh, effectively, the simplest way you can think about it is it, it's going to be an app store. So effectively, developers can go and say, okay, well, you know, I want to make a Shift that does this. Um, so I'm going to give them, you know, access to an API that's going to allow them to do some of the things that Shift does under the covers, things like copying files, merging files, figuring out differences between files, making commits, you know, PR comments, all the things that you would need to build a Shift will be available in, in this API. And it's going to have kind of a facade feel. So it's going to be sh a Shift facade with all of these methods on it. 
But I just, the point is, is that I get a lot of ideas from people and I just don't have the time to keep yep. up with them all. And I love making the core shifts and that's obviously where a lot of value is. But even just kind of going off and making like these package shifts or some of the micro shifts or even the lumen shifts, they just didn't really end up being kind of worth my time. But maybe another developer that's more involved in the Lumen community, that sub-community, might be able to push, you know, that shift a lot better. And it'll be a revenue sharing model, or you can make it free if, if that's what you want. But I just thought it'd be a nice way to kind of open up the platform a little bit, take some of the stress off me to kind of expand the platform and give that opportunity to developers and, and also an opportunity to maybe make some money. Very cool. Okay. That's helpful. Yeah. I was, I figured it was kind of something like that. And is that currently available for anybody who wants to use it? Yeah. So it's, it's really very alpha right now. I'm just kind of in an enrollment process uh, where I'm trying to kind of build a little buzz. I've got a newsletter going out. There's a couple hundred people on it. I need to send one soon because it's, it's been a, a week or two now, but yeah, basically I'm, I'm really hoping to have that ready probably mid March um, where you can start kind of sandboxing uh, your ideas. But I do I do want to say that uh, it would be important to go ahead and get on that mailing list because it is going to be an exclusive platform, meaning that uh, unlike kind of the app stores, I'm not going to have 75 shifts that do the same thing. Hmm. There'll be one shift. And so long as, you know, you're kind of doing a good job with that shift, like that is your domain. Very cool. Awesome. So here's one thing that, that seems to come up quite a bit and that is the LTS versions of Laravel. I, I touched on it earlier how much of a pain that was for me getting up to date and it looked for a little while there towards the end of last year where there wasn't going to be another LTS version of Laravel but we've had the announcement now in the last couple of weeks that Taylor is going to forge ahead for version 5.5 being an LTS. Your thoughts on, on long-term support Jason? Yeah I mean my thoughts are probably the same as Taylor's. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I guess maybe, what does he call it, an anti-pattern? So, you know, I, I definitely understand what's being said there. And it, it's one of those things, I wrote a blog post kind of about LTS, I think, last early last summer, which basically, you know, was kind of a catchy title, just that it was a trap. And so what I mean by that, and, and I think probably what, I, what, what Taylor shares by saying an anti-pattern is... It, it really, you just are buying into technical debt, right? You're basically saying, look, I'm going to be on a version that's older than, you know, the current released version, which is stable, right? It's out there. Um, it's feature rich. But at this point, if you're running LTS, which is 5.1, and by the time the next LTS comes out, which will be 5.5, you're effectively four versions behind. Yeah. Now, thank goodness something <laughs> like Shift exists because... You don't have to like go do all those individual things yourself. You can probably pay a, a sum total of maybe 17 bucks and you'll be there and it's no problem. But I think in general, it's just one of those things where it kind of doesn't make sense to me from a developer's perspective. But I will say I do understand LTS from an enterprise um, or an organization perspective. Yeah, so you've probably worked at organizations. I mean, you've been doing PHP for 15 years or whatever you said. What are some of those, you know, because that's, that's kind of the feeling I've got too, is that this is a requirement of some of these enterprises. What's, what's the benefit? Just help me understand for an enterprise level sort of thing is that they just don't, all the, all the stuff is locked in its version for like, so, you know, for, Hey, for the next three years, we don't have to mess with the framework. It's just, it's, 
it, we're done with that piece. Now we can just work on our domain. Well, I work at an enterprise right now that, honestly, uh, they don't use PHP because they have deemed, or, or certain groups within the organization have deemed PHP insecure, whatever that means. Um, these are people higher up than me. Um, so, you know, we just kind of roll with it. And, and so I think to that point, it's one of those things where it's the, it's the support aspect of it, I believe, is what kind of the sales pitch is. Um, at least that's what it would be for our organization, is that, hey, okay, this thing has two years worth of support. And to your point, that also means not only is that kind of keyword of support there, but also the fact that we don't have to go like change this, right? So I think a lot of big organizations um, maybe don't have the, the clearest picture on what um, an open source project truly is. And so they look at it as maybe from a chaos sure. perspective, <laughs> then, then more of a, uh, hey, we have like, you know, thousands of developers helping on this, right? Like supporting this and making it better. It, to them, it's, it's more maybe, again, that kind of organized chaos approach. So to, to slap a sticker on something or, or a stamp on it and say, LTS, you know, this has two years worth of support and, you know, three years of bug fixes or whatever. I think it just makes higher-ups yeah. feel better about it. I think that's my take on it yeah, as, that a, makes as a total lowly sense. developer. That makes total sense. <laughs> and so for those reasons, if you want to use Laravel, uh, you need you need LTS. And so I completely support it from that perspective. And like I said, when when the next LTS version comes out, uh, hopefully you'll take a peek at Shift and uh, help yourself along the way. It is funny. I was talking to one of the guys that I work with, and um, he had worked at a web shop maybe five, six years ago. And so jQuery was like the big thing, right? And it was like open source and they would not use it because their idea was like, well, wait, everybody can like see the code. Like, doesn't, you know, isn't it like you can get like hacked, right? It's like, no, no, no. Like, no, this is good code because everybody can see the code because people who are way smarter than our developers are looking at that and fixing anything that needs to be, you know, that, that needs to be fixed because they're using it too. So they literally yeah. made uh, the guy that I work with, like, re, you know, write his own jQuery pretty much because they didn't want the code to be out in the open, I guess. I don't know, like you can't, I mean, you can just <laughs> decompile the stuff that's already included. In the, I mean, you're downloading all of it anyway, so I don't know. It's just silly. Yeah, not made here. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly. Source, so, <laughs> No, we had a similar argument. And, and, and these are the, you know, they sound silly on the surface, but but these are real conversations that happen in larger organizations. And it's just... You know, again, there's been some decisions made over the years and that, that, that have kind of snowballed into, into these somewhat silly situations, but you have to work through them. And again, if, you know, I think it's a smart move by saying, okay, look, I, I can't, you know, turn my back on these people or this community and I want to make sure everyone has access to use Laravel. So, you know, here's, here's a version that, you know, we're going to support long term. Uh, so, you know, I, I think, I think it makes sense for reach, you know, but I think if you're, uh, a regular developer not necessarily working in an enterprise I, I still maintain that it, it it's a trap it's it's technical debt and you're going to be missing out on years worth of features you know just to be on some version that has for sure letters behind it yeah definitely and i think it's important and i, and I spoke briefly with taylor about it the other day and and you know we sort of share the same we all of us here i guess share the same thought process and that if, if you're in a position where you can be on the most recent version of, of Laravel, then I certainly would and Taylor certainly would um, quite vocally, you know, stay on the most recent because you're going to get support 
you know, the, those those current versions are always going to be actively developed while they're the current versions, and it makes your process of moving to the next version that much easier. So definitely, and, and as you say, there are certain situations where, the, you know, the choice is out of the developer's hands where you need that long-term support for whatever whatever reason, and so there's, you know, there's definitely a market there for it. Um, and and it's good that that Laravel is in a position where it can cater to developers that want to keep quick on their feet, and also organizations, uh, you know, that enterprise sort of level that that need to have that that longevity and support of of their core platforms, I guess. Um, but on on LTS as well, um, someone did ask me on on Twitter um, about the packages, you know, the first party packages like Cashier. Uh, passport those those are not covered by LTS so it's the framework itself so just just to cover those bases off which I think is really interesting because you know packages in a way making LTS versions because LTS 5.1 for example wouldn't be end of life by the time LTS 5.5 comes out so if you're a package developer you're effectively making three versions of your package now to be a Laravel package developer I just I think there's a little bit of stress maybe, you know, so it's, I think there's going to be interesting things that might have to happen in the ecosystem to truly support those different versions, right? And I would assume that if you're a package developer, when 5.5 LTS comes out, then you stop 5.1 LTS, but you just never know, right? So it's just an interesting yeah. dynamic. I, I think it can create some, mm. some uh, questions. Yeah, good point. Well, Jason, we wanted to thank you so much for uh, coming on the show with us this morning. I know that you have another kind of platform that you're working on right now. Uh, and I thought maybe you could tell us a little bit about that before we before we let you go. Definitely. It's one of those things that I kind of picked up on when I guess I made Shift. I really thought that the PR and kind of using Git as the backbone was um, brilliant. You yeah. know, I was all like, man, this is awesome. This is going to be great. It is, Developers by the way. are going to love this, you know. <laughs> And, well, <laughs> thank you. But uh, but what I what I really found, and I'm going to talk about this at um, Laracon Online here in a couple of weeks, so I'm really excited about that. But what I found was that just as many questions as I was getting about Lar like upgrading Laravel and Laravel-specific questions, I got an equal number, if not maybe recently even more questions about what's a PR? How do I check out this branch that it made? What if I want to merge in this commit? Hey, I don't want this one commit where you did some reformatting. How can I get rid of that? So it was really interesting because all of these are Git-related questions. And what I realized is that, you know, we just don't really know Git as much as mm. we might think we do. There's a really great um, XKCD comic that I, I reposted the other day that I saw in an article. But basically, it's like, hey, memorize these commands. If you screw things up, just copy your files to another <laughs> folder and reclone the repo, you know? And we, and we laugh yes. because we've all done this, right? Like, we've, we've all been there. I've done it dozens of times myself over the years. So what I did was I basically kind of took everything that I know about the commands, the Git commands, and turned it into about a 50-video series called Getting Git. And effectively, it runs over all the core commands. And then there's a sub-series of, uh, I call Everyday Git, where I basically start going over, like, everyday scenarios that you're going to encounter when you use Git. So... Everything from simply kind of setting up your terminal to have, you know, the fancy, you know, branching and stuff built into it, um, the clean and dirty states, but also things like, you know, maybe branching models or how to even work with uh, GitHub in kind of an effective way. And in classic JMac pricing style, um, it started out as nine dollars. Um, well, it was nine seventeen that I called the Git price, which is 
um, effectively leak for Git. <laughs> but uh, now it's it's about 29 now that the the video series is done, which I think is is still um, a pretty good deal. But that's a one-time price. You get access to all the videos, and the everyday Git videos are basically I'm I'm gonna continually add to them anytime I come across a Git scenario that I think. Yeah, it's great explain. to have a resource where I can point people who have never like they don't even know what Git is. Like I'm I'm introducing it to them for the very first time. It can be difficult to find like a great place that will walk through all of it with them uh, from beginning to like expert level. Uh, you know, anywhere in between. So, uh, and it was cool how you structured it too. Basically you take each command and kind of do like a little mini video series on it. Right. So you have like, a, like an intro, kind of like this is kind of what it does. And then you have like another video that kind of goes to like all of the options and like everything that you might possibly ever do with it. Uh, so yeah, it looks like it's structured in a really nice format and, uh, looking forward to getting all the way through it. Yeah, I definitely wanted to make it for, you know, not only beginners that could start with get and knit, you know, cause that's, that's where it starts. But if you are more familiar with Git and you just kind of want to go in and choose your own adventure and say, well, I want to know more about Git Rebase, then you can just jump right to those videos. And to your point, there's a there's an init video and then there's a master version of that video just to kind of play on the Git terms. Ah, I see. I get it now. <laughs> a master version. Makes sense. Okay. <laughs> get it. <laughs> the humor was lost on me. Well, again, thanks for coming on the show today. Uh, it was really great talking with you. We are huge fans of Laravel Shift and we'll continue to use it in the future. Hopefully it does really well for you, man. Thanks. And Michael, you know, uh, a lot of the times people that are on GitLab servers, that is something I want to look into supporting in the future. But most people will temporarily clone it over to just a private um, thing on GitLab.com yeah. or Bitbucket. I know that's probably what I told you before, but... Um, yeah. Yeah, but uh, that uh, corporate overhead and red tape, my friend. Oh, I understand. <laughs> I've I've had some people, like I said, they they ask. It's just it's one of those things, and in, in all the considerations, it's like, I don't know. There's only like one person a month that asks, so I, yeah, I got to deal sure. with volume. For sure. Yeah, well, we look it. forward to seeing you at Laracon online in a couple of weeks, and uh, look forward to your talk there, man. Cool guys. Yeah, I appreciate all right, dude, it. Thanks for coming on. See ya. So we've got a couple other news items this week from Laravel News. Uh, Michael, do you want to start with Laracon Online? Yeah, so we talked with Ian Landsman in the last episode about Laracon Online and they had just passed, I think, 1,500 or so ticket sales. In the last two weeks, they've now crossed to, uh, three, the 3,000 developer mark, which awesome. is a big testament to, to you know there being a big, big market for this. So congratulations to Ian and, and the rest of the the folks that helped get get this off the ground. The ticket price that was $10 has, I believe, gone up now to $20, um, which is, you know, I, I tweeted the other day that Laracon Online would be a steal at twice the price. And even now at $20, I still think that's true. So um, there is a post on Laravel News which goes through all of the conference swag, which has now been announced. So there's a whole heap of different offers from Linode, from Nexmo, from Bugsnag, pop.co which we spoke about with Ian oh, and also Blackfire and Postmark uh, so jump onto Laravel News and we'll put a link in the show notes that basically covers all of that stuff off um, so you can have a, a look at what you're going to get for your for your 10 or 20 dollars depending on when you purchase your ticket very cool uh, something that was introduced in 5.3 that I wanted to talk a little bit about is these stacks. So this has been something I've used recently actually where you can declare in your blade in your blade file, you have an at stack. So it's a stack directive. So at stack, and then you name it. It's like almost what you would do with if you said an at, 
yield. So uh, if you were pushing a section in there, so common thing that you might have is a sidebar. So you'd say at stack sidebar. And then what you can do is that other places in your other blade uh, files that maybe extend one of those parent files or our component pieces, you can say at push sidebar. And what that will do is it will take whatever is the contents of uh, that section there that you have and that at push sidebar, and it will take whatever's in there and it will push that onto that stack that you had defined somewhere else in your uh, in your blade file. Uh, so that was cool. So it was a little bit dependent on the order in which your templates were rendered though. So if you said push, 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 you would end up with, uh, you know, those things in order one, two, three, and how they came in. Well, sometimes depending, you want to have something at the very top. So your options are either to make sure that that piece of the template gets rendered first, or in 5.4.10, a new prepend directive has been added. So instead of saying push sidebar, you can now say prepend sidebar. And instead of pushing it onto the end of that stack, it will prepend it onto that stack. So that's a that's kind of a cool feature. I can imagine that being used if, for example, you were, I don't know, if you weren't concatenating all your scripts with Mix or with Elixir, if there was a library that you needed to be available at the very top of your stack, you could prepend it to the very top to make sure that it loaded before the rest of them did. So there's some really cool uses that you could have for that. And there is a blog post out there on Laravel News, which we will put in the show notes as well. Yeah, um, speaking of things pushed into Laravel 5.4, Michael, do you want to talk about the when method on collections? Yeah, so I discovered this when method in the Eloquent Query Builder a little while ago and tweeted about it. I was, was pretty excited with it. Um, and basically what the when method does is it allows you to conditionally run a query based on some variable. So where you would previously do a check, I guess, to see if some parameter exists in your request, um, you would, you know, assign that to a temporary variable and then go, you know, if request has whatever, um, then then append this to your query. So using the when method, it allows you to basically inline that within your existing collection. Um, I did have cause to use that similar functionality within the context of a collection a little while ago and discovered that the method didn't exist. So I, I wrote it initially as a macro in my application, but ended up submitting it as a pull request on the back of the work that, that Tom Schlick had done to get it into the query builder. So that is now available on the collections as well. So you can uh, see, have a look at the blog post that we'll put in the show notes that basically explains this in greater detail because trying to explain code um, <laughs> verbally doesn't work very <laughs> exactly. well. So yeah, we'll put the link in the show notes. But essentially what, what the when method would allow you to do is to yeah, basically just avoid having to declare temporary variables in your collection sort of pipeline code. Which we all know is one of the greatest evils. Declaring temporary variables. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It seems like everything, you know, there's so many ways to get around it. It's really funny to see Adam Wathen uh, do some of his stuff because, you know, at times he'll just do some silly stuff to get he around temporary variables. Away. Yeah, yeah. No conditionals, <laughs> no temporary variables. If you looked at, if you saw any of the tweets that Adam had coming out this week, uh, you saw that he's been working on a sort of a payment thing. And uh, kind of related with that, Stripe released a new set of, I don't even know what you want to call it. I don't even know if it's a new set of things. It's called Stripe Elements. Um, and so it's almost like a component, I suppose, is what you'd call it, right? Where mm -hmm. you have a single field that will now allow you to accept the credit card, the month, the date uh, of the expiration, or the month and the year of the expiration, 
Uh, I think even the uh, zip code and things like that. And so it's kind of changes around the way that you might have had to do your forms before, where previously your options were either to use their quick stripe checkout, where you'd click a button and it does a little pop up or make your own custom form. This kind of is a little bit of an in-between, right? It's still provided by Stripe and maintained by Stripe, but it's not a pop-up on your page. So it's kind of cool. It looks like it works really pretty well. Uh, one of the things that's pointed out here that is a point that I'd like to make is that Stripe very clearly warns you when you are building your own custom forms that you do not want to give your custom forms that contain sensitive uh, data or your custom form elements that contain, contain sensitive data, you do not want to give them a name property. So when you submit a form to your server, your server will submit all of those based on the name that is given to that form element. So if I have an email, uh, I can say input type equals email, name equals email. And when I go to submit that, my server will pick up the contents of that form element as email and post it to my back end, right? Well, one thing that Stripe suggests is I say, basically, if you're collecting a credit card number or if you're collecting a CCV or whatever it is and uh, in your own custom forms, do not give those form elements a name. And what that will do is it will prevent those from ever getting posted accidentally to your server. Uh, what they should do instead is they should uh, be posted with JavaScript to Stripe, which will give you a single use token. And then you can use that single use token to post to your server and uh, use that to run your transactions. So that was just a uh, kind of a warning uh, that Eric pointed out here on the bottom of the Laravel News uh, blog post that he posted up here. So just thought it would be worth reiterating. But uh, if you haven't got a chance to check out Stripe Elements, definitely do that. One other kind of related thing that Eric had blogged about and I didn't find out about until just this morning actually, is that I had made a package a little while ago uh, called Stripe Test Tokens. And I don't even know if you could call it a package. It's really just a little tiny helper library. Uh, Stripe will allow you to send through a number of different test card numbers. So for example, 4242, 4242, 4242, whatever. If you've ever had to do testing before with Stripe, you may that number might sound familiar. You type in that number and that will do a successful transaction. They have a couple of other different numbers that you can type in. Uh, I almost think of them like cheat codes, right? So you've got this uh, <laughs> special number that you type in and it will give you a type of exception or it might be a valid Visa or a valid MasterCard or uh, it might say like, hey, the zip fails on this or the it's an expired card or something like that. So you might want to test to see how you're going to handle those types of exceptions. And it can be a little bit difficult to like mock those exceptions in your tests unless you can do it some way like this. So Stripe test tokens essentially allows you to create those test tokens really easily and then post to your application and, and see how your application reacts to them. So uh, you just check that out. It's on GitHub. We'll link it up in the show notes. So the next item that we've got here is talking a little bit about a recent uh, report from Cloudflare that they had been leaking custom HTTPS sessions. So under circumstances, certain circumstances, their um, edge servers were running past the end of a buffer and returning memory that contained some private information like HTTP cookies, authentication tokens, and things like that. And you know, obviously, over HTTPS, this stuff is it should be protected. Some of that data had actually been cached by search engines. So Cloudflare has been very quick and very transparent in reporting and detailing, you know, what happened in this situation, what they were doing to, you know, work on it. And so they've jumped in on the problem and they've reduced it down to where the issue was happening. 
and has been fixed out and has been rolled out to any customers that were affected by it. So there is there is a blog post on Laravel News that, that goes over the details of this. There is also a list of some of the more popular domains that were affected. So Laravel News does use Cloudflare, but was not one of the affected sites. Um, so Laracast was on that list as well as one of the affected ones. So probably for peace of mind, just it might be in your best interest to to update your password. Yeah, I think so. That's what I've read. I mean, there was a couple of posts I've seen around yeah. that'd be like, yep, you should definitely change passwords if, if nothing else. Yeah, passwords, private messages, API keys and other sensitive data were leaked. So yeah, so certainly, you know, if you're using Laracast, it's an idea to probably go and yep. update your password. Laravel.com is one of the sites using Cloudflare, but obviously you don't log into that. So not too many issues there. But uh, certainly, yeah, if, have a look at the at the blog post, which will outline all of the top, all of the top popular sites that were affected by this. Very cool. Thank you. Uh, one of the articles that uh, was on Laravel News this week, which I found pretty interesting, is called No Really, It's Okay to Be Unavailable. And she talks about just kind of the challenges we face living in an uber-connected world and how it can almost be seen as, I don't know, unprofessional to be unavailable. And uh, she just kind of points out, no, it's really, it's actually, it's a good thing for you to disconnect. And uh, I've actually been reading a book called Deep Work, which has been really, really interesting. It talks about this exact thing, uh, the ability to unplug and to not be distracted. So they, you know, really encourage things like, you know, maybe schedule your day. Well, because if let's be honest, right, none of us could just like shut off email and be totally fine. Like it's part of our job. So instead of saying like, hey, shut off email for the whole day and, and just get work done, which would be great. It basically says like kind of schedule your day around being uh, OK for the first half of the day. I'm going to do email and then for the second half of the day, literally like shut everything off like shut off your twitter shut off email Mm -hmm. shut off all of that stuff and just focus on deep work non-distracted deep work and one of the things that they've said which was really interesting to me and has been a cool exercise so the thing that some people do is they will schedule break times from the internet they'll say like i'm not going to do facebook for a month or i'm not going to do twitter for you know Mm -hmm. a couple days or whatever instead of scheduling breaks from the internet schedule internet time meaning I, I will only get on the internet during these 15 minute periods during the day. So if it's not within that 15 minute period, you cannot get online. So like, even if you have an issue, so this, and it's because the internet and the and Twitter and Stack Overflow, it's so like, what's the word I'm looking for? Like alluring, like you always go there looking for something and end up 10 pages later and 20 minutes later, like, oh my word, where did that time yeah. go? So they encourage you to say, okay, don't schedule your breaks, schedule your internet time. So say like I have a five minute or 10 minute or 15 minute window to, you know, be online. And if it's not within that time period, I am not allowed to be online. And it is interesting, like, so, you know, you say, well, I have this, this problem that I can't fix without, you know, looking at the documentation. A couple things. Number one, uh, I would say get a program called Dash. It is Mac only, but you can download all of the documentation for your favorite libraries, frameworks. So it's got uh, you know, if you look up MDN, a lot like Mozilla Developer Network for JavaScript stuff, it's got mm-hmm. all of the JavaScript stuff in there. It's got CSS, it's got Laravel, every version, uh, all of those, you can download them so you can have them available offline. So that's solved that problem for me. So I'm not tempted to go look at other stuff. I just look at the documentation to solve my problem. But second of all, if you if you have a problem that you must be able to get online for, just do something else. 
come up with something else that you need to that you need to get done. There's plenty of other things to be done and do that. And what this allows you to do, this is allows you to kind of rewire your brain to not be so distractible and so distracted. So anyway, Deep Work is the book that I'm reading. It's a really good read. Uh, and then, of course, this post that was put out on Laravel News this week. No, really, it's okay to be unavailable. Uh, both really good to read and uh, just to think about. Yeah. Just on Dash, there is a, another thing that I use, which is actually a website, but it is it uses um, local storage to make itself available offline. And it's, I think, readthedocs.io. I'll put a link in the show notes, but it covers you know, a whole whole array of different things. So JavaScript, it'll cover, it covers Vue, it covers Laravel, it covers PHP. So it's good that you basically just queue up the things that you're going to use often and it'll, it'll just be available offline. So even, I think Matthew Trask was tweeting the other day about not being able to code on the plane yes. because, because he didn't have access to documentation. So Matthew, if you're listening, readthedocs.io will probably be helpful for you next time. Yeah, I heard about a guy who actually had a book to write. And so what he did is he booked himself a flight to Tokyo, a round trip flight, and wrote the entire way over and wrote the entire way back because he knew he wouldn't have internet access. Like it was like the only, it was a quick way for him to think about <laughs> like, okay, I can do this. Didn't Taylor even say something about that? I think he did. He said he got something done on the plane ride from from the U.S. to the U.K. for the Laracon uh, U.K. He, there was something, or, or Laracon EU or whatever. Yeah, The EU, yeah, you mentioned EU. last when we spoke with yeah. him. Yeah, so he said that ago, he yeah. got something done during that time. So there really is some value to being able to just unplug from the internet and just do do work. So anyway. yeah. Well, I am all out of talking points for today. Michael, you got anything else for us? I think that's it. Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you liked the show, please uh, rate us up in your podcatcher of choice. Five stars is always helpful. You can find the show notes for this ep- episode at laravel-news.com slash podcast slash 32. Uh, if you have any questions or things you'd like for us to talk about in future episodes, feel free to hit us up at Laravel News or our individual Twitter accounts. As always, Michael, it's great talking to you, man. Thanks for taking the time out today. Cheers, nice. Cheers. All right. All right. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening. Which episode are we on? 32. 32? Thank you, so everybody. Thank you, everyone, so much for listening. This is... Thank you, everyone, for listening. If you liked the show, please rate us up in your podcatcher of choice. Five stars is always helpful. You can find the show notes for this episode at laravel-news.com slash podcast slash 32. I think I got all that right. Michael, is that right? Yep. You got it right first time, Jake. (laughs) First time. (laughs) Uh, If you have any questions or things you'd like for us to talk about in future episodes, feel free to hit us up at Laravel News or our individual Twitter accounts. As always, Michael, it's great talking to you, man. Thanks for taking the time out today. Cheers, Norris. You too. All right. First try.